Hello everyone, my name is Dave and I'm part of the team at Gold Hill and today we are carrying on our series that's called Different where we are looking through one of the letters found in the New Testament, 1 Peter. And today we come to the topic of freedom. Now, what do you think of when you hear that word freedom? What does it mean to be free? Well, we might think of some of the freedoms that we, that we enjoy or that we think we should be able to enjoy. Think about things like freedom of speech or uh, freedom of expression or freedom of religion. These are all good freedoms, things that it is good that we enable one another to express individually. But with each of these things, I think we would all recognise that there has to be some kind of limit on that. There has to be something where, as a society, we agree that while, yes, we think freedom of speech is important, there's some speech that we don't think is right. Take, for example, slander. Um, lying about someone in a way that defames them. We recognise in our laws that that is wrong. It is speech that is wrong. It is, it is speech that people should not be free to exercise without consequence. Freedom of expression, the idea that we should all be able to express ourselves with our words, with the way that we look, that we should be free to express ourselves as we see fit and as we see right. But again, imagine someone who thinks that the best way for them to express themselves is only through swearing and through curse words. And that person also wants to be a primary school teacher. We would say, no, you are not free to express yourself in that way, in that context. Freedom of religion is another one where it is good, of course it is good for people to be able to, to express their religious views and beliefs freely, unless those religious beliefs will lead them to do things which are not things that we think people should be free to do, whether that be the oppression of women or of children, whether that be terrorism, which most terrorist acts are motivated, at least in part, by a religious sentiment. So, Freedom can't just be about uh, no rules, no constraints, anyone can do whatever they want, because that way anarchy lies. So here's another question though. What do we do when we disagree with those who are in power over us? What do we do when we disagree with those who, who rule us, whether that be a boss, whether that be a government, whether that be a prime minister? What do we do in those situations? Because if freedom can't just be no constraints whatsoever, then how do we exercise freedom in the context when we find ourselves at odds, maybe, with those who are in power over us. What do we do and what's a Christian response to that? What is a different form of freedom? Because that's what I want to explore today. I believe in the passage we're going to be looking at, we will find a different kind of freedom that God wants us to have and is very different from the way that the world would tell us that we should be free. So I want to start by reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And the first couple of verses are something of a recap. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war on your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Like I said, this is something of a summary of what has gone before. And again, we see that phrase of living as foreigners and exiles. This idea that in this world, we do not truly belong. We are passing through. We're citizens of heaven living in this world rather than the other way around. And we need to remember the very different context that these people were living in. We need to recognise that these Christians who Peter is writing to were a tiny minority group. They weren't the majority, they weren't popular, they weren't uh, well known, 
They were a tiny minority group who people thought of slightly suspiciously. They were these strange people who, who refused to take part in certain practices and customs. Maybe they're slightly, uh, they, they, they want anarchy, they want, they, they, they want no rules, they want, they want to just be able to do their own thing. They're people who, who we shouldn't really trust because they're trying to upset, upset society, they're trying to upset the status quo. Why won't they just join in with things? Why won't they just do things the normal way, the proper way? It's really hard, I think, for us to completely put ourselves into those shoes as Western Christians, those of us who are Western and Christian uh, listening to this, because the truth is we have a lot of the privilege that they did not have. We have a lot of the freedom that they did not have. So how do you respond and what can we learn from these things? Well, as the passage goes on, uh, that, that general principle of living good lives within a society where you are in some ways at odds with it, what do you do? Peter then goes on to outwork that talk about how that looks in practice in two different ways. The first is about citizens relating to rulers and the second is about how slaves relate to masters. We're going to focus on the first one and I'll explain why we're not focusing in on the question of slaves and masters when we when we get there. But first we are going to think about citizens and rulers. Let's read from verse 13 together. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Now, there's a lot going on in these words, so we're going to go through it um, quickly, verse by verse. Verse uh, 13 talks about submitting yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, and then it goes on to list a number of who those human authorities are. It starts with that, with that word submit. What does it mean to submit to earthly rulers, to our human authority figures? Well, I believe that it does say that we should, largely speaking, obey those who are ruling over us, but, but not necessarily unthinkingly. See, submission is a, is a choice. Submission is something that we choose to do. We, we choose to submit to someone else. We choose to put ourselves in some way under someone else's rule or authority. This isn't about switching off our minds and becoming robots, unthinkingly doing everything that we're told. But submission also implies that we're not just meant to be disobedient or disruptive for the sake of it. We're not meant to just oppose everything. Submission implies something of respect and honour to those who rule over us. And he describes that as being every human authority that we should do that, and then he lists some. That word authority is an interesting one though, because authority, if you translate it literally in this, in this passage, it's actually the word creature. It's something that's been created. And what Peter is doing is he's saying, yes, these people are in authority over you, but remember, they too have been created by God. They are just another human being. They are not perfect and they are certainly not God. They are not the creator. They're not on the level of God. And then um, he, he says that we should submit for the Lord's sake. Already we're getting this idea that, as, that submission to human rulers isn't somehow at odds with or opposed to submission to God. We do it in some senses for God, which means that it can't involve us rejecting God's law in favour of a, a contradictory human law. So we're starting to build a picture of what's going on. As we carry on in verse 14, we read about what human rulers are meant to be there for. 
to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. This is what rulers are meant to do. In fact, if you look through the Bible, there's all kinds of places where God describes the way that he wants rulers and leaders and kings uh, and emperors to behave. If you're interested, go to Psalm 72, which is a description of what a godly king should look like. And human rulers are not put in place uh, on, on this planet according to God's priorities for rulers in order to um, keep their nation's economy strong or in order to build an army or in order to um, invade and, 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 and grow their empire. That's not what human rulers are there for according to God's priorities for human leadership. Human rulers are there to uphold justice, to make sure that what is right happens and what is wrong has no place to make sure that those who would otherwise be um, trampled on and disenfranchised by society, the poor or the marginalised or the minority, are given their place and are given justice. That's what a good, godly human ruler is meant to do. Now, what Peter's not saying is that all rulers do that. He's not, he's not saying that, that every ruler that's ever existed does do those things, always upholds what's right and always opposes what's wrong. It would be crazy for him to say that, given that he's writing into a context where Christians themselves are being attacked and being persecuted and are not able to, to, to live in the ways uh, that God would want uh, free of any kind of opposition. But what he is saying is that most of the time, most governments, in most of their actions, are upholding justice, are doing broadly what is right. It's not to say they always do, but when they do, we should seek to live in line with that. Which means that we need to have a bit more nuance in the way that we respond than sometimes we might be inclined to. We might look at a government and think, well, largely speaking, I don't agree with you. I didn't vote for you, I don't like you, so therefore I'm gonna oppose you at every turn. Some things that government do will be very good and some of them will be neutral. You might though, on the other hand, say, well, I voted for you, I was excited about you, I agreed with your manifesto, um, and so I'm glad that you're in office, and therefore you can see no wrong in what they do. Peter's saying governments are there for a reason, and we should assess them based on those reasons. We shouldn't just be needlessly opposing, and we shouldn't be needlessly agreeing with everything. Then we carry on in verse 15. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, again, we need to remember the context this was written into. Christians were seen as this divisive, subversive, rebellious, new little sect that was cropping up, that was threatening the established status quo. And Peter's saying, live in a way that makes it obvious that that's wrong. You're not against the society that you're in. You love the society that you're in. You don't agree with everything about it. But make it clear, that make, make it so that no one has a leg to stand on if they're trying to accuse you of just upsetting and disturbing and breaking everything. Now, in our day, I think we need to perhaps think about what that might mean for, for us. Because in our day, we are not, as Christians, seen as this little upstart, tiny, rebellious sect. Christians have had a standing within Western society for far too long for that to be the case. In our day, some of the things that we as Christians might be accused of would be things like being overreaching, demanding that others live according to our values, even though they personally don't have the belief system that underpins those values, imposing our morals on other people. In some ways, the reversal of what the people here were accused of. And we need to live in a way that makes it obvious that those things aren't true, that those accusations can't be levelled against us. And then in verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's 
slaves. We're told to live as free people. This is, uh, this is an attitude thing. This is about our heart in the way that we respond to, to, to rulers, even when we disagree with them. This is not saying there's no rules. It's not that kind of free people. But it is saying obey, not because you're being forced to obey, but because you are choosing to submit freely. You are a free person who chooses to submit to this rule. But then Peter says, but don't use that as an excuse to do what's wrong. Well, I'm free. I'm free of judgment. I'm free of condemnation. I'm free of human rule, so I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want. I'm going to abuse that freedom I've been given. Peter says, no, don't be stupid. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't even go there. And then he uses this phrase, which I think is the key to it all. He says, live as God's slaves. This is what unlocks it, because the only true form of freedom, biblically, is to submit to the one who allows you to be completely free. A fish could look at itself and say, well, I'm trapped by all of this water. I need to escape this water because I'm not free as long as I'm forced to live in the sea or the river. And so it jumps out and says, I'm finally free. And it dies because it was made for water. It was meant to be in water. A fish finds freedom not by escaping the constraints it's in, but by recognising that those constraints is where it's meant to be, is where it belongs. True freedom is found in submission to that which is good for us and that which is right. And that is God. And then verse 17 kind of um, gathers all of this together with four simple um, statements. Show proper respect to everyone. The respect of our rulers is part of respecting other people. We don't respect our rulers and disrespect everyone else. They're alongside everyone else that we respect. Then we hear that we should love the family of believers. There is a special bond that Christians will have with one another. And notice that we're called to love other believers. We're not called to love the emperor. We're not called to love the rulers. Of course we are in the sense that Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And of course we're going to love our friends. So wherever a leader is on that spectrum, we're called to love them in one way, but not in that way that is about deep affinity, which is good news when a government's elected that we didn't vote for. I've seen since the election in the United States on Twitter, every time that President Biden tweets something, there'll be a whole string of people underneath who will respond with, not my president. They're saying, you're not my president. I didn't vote for you. Well, no, he, he, he is your president. Whether you agree with him or not, he is. That kind of response is not a Christian response. But we don't have to love and like everything that a, that a leader does for us to submit to them. Then we hear that we should fear God and honour the emperor, or in our day, the rulers, the MPs, the, the government, the prime minister. Notice that we, we have our ultimate reverence and awe and respect and, and fear in the biblical sense of the word for God, not for any human being. But we still honour those humans that are over us. So when we gather all of these thoughts, I think, it, I think it kind of gives us a picture of the way that we are meant to relate to human authorities and to authority and to freedom. And it starts with this, God comes first. God is the ultimate authority. God is king. God is our ultimate ruler. And it is him who we submit to. We live as God's slaves, God's servants, God's people. And then we look at the human rulers around us and over us, and we consider the way that they are leading in light of our, our submission to God. Now, most of the time, most governments, most of the things that they will ask us to do are good and fine or neutral. And in those situations, we obey. 
we do what we're told. If, though, it is against God's law, we cannot obey those things. But notice, this is only on the basis of what God has said is right and wrong. Not on the basis of whether we like it or not, or on the basis of whether we agree or not. You might think your council tax is too high. Tough. God hasn't said that, and therefore you need to pay it. You might think that certain things that governments do aren't what you would want them to do. That's also not something that gives us freedom to disobey, unless what they're telling us to do is actively sinful and wrong, according to God's word. There are some things that might be permitted by rulers, but actually we need to come back and abstain from those things because they're not right. There might be some things we personally like or don't like, but we're required to do them anyway. Maybe we'd like Peter to go further. Maybe we'd want him to say, fight for your rights, demand freedom. But we mustn't read our own privilege, friends, back into this passage. Our privilege of being not in such a minority, such a tiny minority, of not having standing within society, of not having had respect of others for the, for the centuries that we have. We are not that tiny minority. But they were, and they had to find out how to live within that. And Peter wasn't saying, don't settle for anything other than exactly what you demand. He's saying, live well. Because the bottom line is that he is more interested in the witness of this Christian community than in their comfort. That's maybe a challenge to us. Then, after this section about citizens and rulers, Peter moves on to slaves and masters. And we actually see some very similar things in this passage. I'm actually going to skip over this passage, not because we don't want to deal with it, not because it's not important, it really is, but we're actually going to give a whole evening to this. And we're going to give three evenings in a row to some important ethical topics. The first one is going to be a week tomorrow, that's on uh, Monday the 7th, and then the following two weeks, the 14th and the 21st, in a little series of Zoom seminars that we're calling Different Ethics. The first one flows out of this and is going to be about slavery and our response to that, and modern day slavery, and how we respond to that as Christians. And then we're going to be thinking about the mistreatment of women. And then after that, we're going to be thinking about assisted dying. You can find information for all of those at goldhill.org info. But for now, rather than focus in on this question of slavery here, we're going to briefly mention a few things about it that I think are important. Because the first is that in these verses, Peter addresses slaves which in itself was very subversive. Normally you would talk to the master rather than talk to the slave, but Peter turns that on its head. The second is that our main imagery of what we might think of when we hear that word slavery will be based more on the transatlantic slave trade of uh, predominantly Africans being taken from their homes and transported across to other parts of the world in order to be enslaved and oppressed in all kinds of different ways. The kind of slavery that was happening in this day that Peter is speaking directly to is different from that. It's not right, it's not good, but it is different from that. And it's important to keep, those, um, keep that clear, I think, a little bit in our head. One important difference is that race was not the primary motivator or not a primary motivator of the kind of slavery that's being talked about here. It wasn't white people gathering up black and brown skinned people in order to take them to white environments and serve them. It was, it was a different kind of thing that was happening. The other thing is that because Peter instructs slaves to behave in a certain way, he is not endorsing slavery. He is not saying that slavery is right. 
Remember, this is a tiny minority, and particularly slaves had no power to change the situation that they were in, had no real power or opportunity to escape that slavery. And so the question was, how do I live within this? How do I live in a way that honours God? Of course, as Christian influence has risen within history, there have been more opportunities to challenge that institution of slavery in all of its many forms. And sadly, as we know, too often Christians were too slow to do so. And there's much that we need to work through in terms of the way that we respond to that. But again, that question of why doesn't Peter go further with slaves and masters, with citizens and rulers? Why is it not that Christians should just fight for our rights and have them guaranteed? Why, why is that not what Peter is advocating? Because if it is true that God is right about what's right and about what's wrong, and he is the just ruler, then surely Christians who represent him, having their own rights guaranteed more, would be good for the whole of society. Well, let's see what it is that Peter goes on to say after these two sections about uh, rulers and about slaves. He carries on in verse 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Our engagement with this is based on the example of Jesus. And that word example in, those, in that verse is a really beautiful one because it's actually the, the phrase that's used for, for the lettering that has been written by an adult that a child who is learning to write would draw over that lettering in order to learn how to shape the words and the phrases and the letters. It's that kind of writing over the example that has gone before us. So what is that example? Well, let's read in verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What is this example? Well, three simple things. Jesus was perfect, and yet he suffered and did not retaliate. He would have had the right to do so. In some ways, this is an extreme version of any suffering that any Christian will ever face since. Because Jesus is perfect and we're not. And because he was tortured and executed. And for most of us, that will not be the case. And yet still, even in that more extreme version, he did not retaliate. Why is it that sometimes Christians are more known for what we're against and fighting for our rights than for what we're for? and for laying down our rights on behalf of others when Jesus is our example. Second thing, Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus wasn't just being a doormat. Jesus wasn't just stoically carrying on, trusting in his own virtue and being silent in this situation. No, it wasn't that he was just being stoic about the whole thing. He was looking to a bigger picture. He was entrusting him and his own situation into the truth that what is wrong will be righted, just not yet. See, this is Jesus not embracing a here and now mentality, but instead letting God do things in his timing and in his way. What is wrong and those who perpetrate what is wrong will be judged. 
what is good will be upheld, because God who judges all the world will do what is right. And instead of fighting for our individual freedoms right here, right now, we can in part entrust ourselves to that. The third thing is that Jesus had a greater purpose than his own freedom or his own comfort. In verses 24 and 25, we're reminded that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And we're reminded in a quote from the Old Testament that we're all like sheep going astray. But now we've been able to return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. This is the gospel message. This is the good news of Christianity. That all of us mess up and run away and turn our own way from God. None of us is perfect. None of us, if we're a ruler over other people, will be perfect. All of us have fallen short. All of us make mistakes. And yet Jesus endured this hardship without retaliating, entrusting that what was right would happen for your sake and for my sake. He was more interested in your ultimate freedom, in you being set free from sin, set free from death, set free from guilt and shame. He was more interested in that than in his own personal freedom from oppression, his own personal comfort. He wanted to do that for you more than he wanted safety for himself. He had a bigger purpose, a bigger picture than just what was going on for himself. So that's the example we have to follow. We saw some of the outworking of what it means about being good citizens and the way that we relate to authority and we relate to our own freedom. But that's our example. He didn't retaliate. Are you quick to retaliate? Are you quick to fight for yourself, to demand, to, to try and clear your name? Or are you able to be wronged sometimes and to allow that to happen? Do you need things to be righted right here, right now? Or are you willing to entrust yourself, your future and the future of everyone else to God, trusting that he will do what is right? And what's more important to you? Your own freedom, your own comfort or this great big purpose of the message of Jesus and the truth of what he did being established, not just in your own life, but in others as well. For Peter, it's the witness of this Christian community that is first and foremost over everything else, had a huge impact for the way that they would relate to those around them, the way that they would relate to themselves, the way that they would relate to God, had a huge impact and it gave them a different kind of freedom. It's a far freer freedom. It's a freedom that will last into eternity rather than just be wrought out and found here and now. So let me pray that each of us would embrace that freedom and receive it from God. Lord, we thank you that you don't give us as the world does. Thank you that you give us better than that. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to lay down some of the ways that we might try and fight for our own freedom and instead choose to submit to yours. Help us to live as wise and sensitive and godly people in a world that is changing fast, in a world that has all kinds of things that are acceptable that we might not think are. Help us to entrust ourselves 
to you. Because you know. Because you are good. And because you always reign. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.